Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms where I give you a heads up about upcoming shows and which date and time they will be aired. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there. And you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Pelliser. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my True Believer stories that have collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStoryTime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all... Hi everybody, this is Marlene, and I wanted to mention that upon reviewing the audio, I realized that there's a hissing going on in the background. Bear with me it about six minutes into the interview it dies away so again i apologize uh but i don't want to cut it out because i believe that that first part of the interview is really important so thanks for understanding hi everybody this is marley with miami ghost chronicle stories of the supernatural how is everybody doing today good i hope i'm doing wonderful good here in hot miami okay uh yes it's hot and steamy but i wouldn't have it any other way and for those of you who've asked me because you know i've mentioned it yeah i still got my trees growing out in the back a lot of hard work okay i'm i'm a wimpy farmer i admit it i'm a wimpy farmer <laughs> okay but it's it's well worth it. it it's it's good it's good but anyway guys you know i sometimes i talk about interesting things up in the news and it just so happens the timing on this couldn't have been better and you'll understand why when I introduce my guest today. But anyway, this is, uh, this. as a matter of fact, it's dated today. Well, no, I'm sorry, yesterday, April 24th. Uh, and this is out of the Inquirer, out of uh, Philadelphia. And basically the title on this piece is Frustrated Pilots Got Navy to Stop Dismissing UFO Sightings. Okay. And the, 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 the intro to the piece, and I'll put a, a link on the credits of the show, it's a recent uptick in sightings of unidentified flying objects, or as the military calls them, unexplained aerial phenomena, prompted the U.S. Navy to draft formal procedures for pilots to document encounters, a corrective measure that former officials say is long overdue. Since 2014, we're talking here five years, these intrusions have been happening on a regular basis. Okay, this is... Uh, this was quoted from Joseph Gratisher. He's a spokesman for the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Information Warfare. All right. And we want to get to, and he goes on to say, we want to get to the bottom of this. We need to determine who's doing it, where it's coming from, 
and what their intent is. We need to try to find ways to prevent it from happening again. Prevent what? How can you, you know, first of all, you try to find out what it is. Why do you want to prevent it? Uh, and of course, safety and security concerns. We are going to investigate each and every report, which means that probably they're being overrun with their pilots saying, I saw something, I don't know what it is, but it's like something that maybe is in contradiction to what radar is bringing on or it's maneuvering some way that they can't account for. Otherwise, they, it wouldn't be unidentified. Um, Louis Elizondo, he's a former senior intelligence officer, told the Washington Post, who, who published the story originally, that the new Navy guidelines formalized the reporting process facilitating a data-driven analysis while removing the stigma from talking about UFOs, calling it the single greatest decision the Navy has made in decades. Yeah. Now, I'm going to get to the good part. You know what that good part is? I'm going to tell you who the guest is. Okay, and let me tell you uh, a little bit about this lady. Her name is Kathleen Martin. Okay, she is a leading UFO researcher. She's the author of several books, and she's a uh, She's a uh, featured on-camera commentator. She's also an international lecturer. Uh, she earned a BA degree in social work and worked as an educator in education services coordinating while attending graduate school. She's a practitioner of regression and QHHT hypnosis. And her interest in UFOs and contact began in 1961 when her aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, had a close encounter subsequent abduction in New Hampshire's White Mountains. And many of you will, if you're familiar at, at all with the UFO phenomena, understand that that case, uh, that abduction case, was what set a lot of things in motion. Uh, she's been a MUFON director of MUFON's Experiencer Research Team since 2011. And she's also on the board of, of the Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters. The acronym for that is FREE, F-R-E-E. -E. Uh, her books are Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, uh, Science Was Wrong, and Fact Fiction and Flying Saucers, which he co-authored with nuclear physicist, scientific ufologist Stanton T. Friedman. And she also has another book with Denise Stoner titled The Alien Abduction Fi uh, Files. Now, um, she's... Uh, she has a, another book, a fifth book, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted, which is slated for publication in 2019. And without further ado, let me get her on and we're going to ask her about all these interesting subjects. How are you doing today, Kathleen? I'm doing well. I am so glad to have you on. And we spoke a little bit before coming on. And I'm telling you, it's talk about the rabbit hole. This is deep, deep, deep into the it's... rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> And it goes off into lots of tunnels, but um, and we were we were commenting because I told her that I was going to mention that story that was just published about what the Navy's going to do. Uh, that things have come so long, such a long way from 1961, Kathleen, when your aunt and her husband had this experience. Yes. And can you? I mean, a lot of people are familiar with with their story, but if you could fill us in a little bit, especially from the vantage point of a family member that was able to see behind the scenes of what, what happened to them on a personal level. I'd be happy to. Uh, briefly, my aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, uh, were a credible couple, 
let me say that, they were churchgoers, they were envoys to the United Nations, they are taking a trip to Niagara Falls, Montreal, and then back through New Hampshire to their home on the coast of New Hampshire, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, on September 19, 1961. Um, and as they entered into New Hampshire uh, that night, they saw something in the sky that initially my aunt thought might be a, a meteor, but it wasn't. It was moving upward instead of down. And it really attracted her attention, and she continued to watch this because it stopped in the sky. And it started to grow larger and larger. She and my uncle stopped the car a couple of times to take a look at this thing. Uh, and they, uh, it continued to grow larger and larger in the sky. Finally, they entered an area of New Hampshire known as Franconia Notch, uh, it's a popular tourist area because there are tall mountains on each side of the road. And this craft was in front of the mountain and down so that they could get a really good view of it. They stopped at an area called the Old Man of the Mountain, and they noticed that this craft was, compared to the old man's profile, probably about 70 feet in diameter and it was moving in an unconventional way. A stair-step pattern seemed to be bouncing back and forth in the sky at one point. My uncle was anxious to drive home. Uh, he worked for the post office and he uh, had uh, wanted to get home at a reasonable hour. They anticipated getting home at about two o'clock in the morning. But as they left Franconia Notch and they came out into an area of New Hampshire uh, where the tourist attractions began and the motels began, um, this craft swooped down and stopped right over their vehicle. My uncle had to park the car in the middle of the road in order not to be directly underneath it. It started at about 200 feet and it, in the air and it started to descend. Uh, he got out of the car and started looking at it because he did not believe in flying saucers. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you something. Talk about, man, what a moment in someone's life. Like, are my eyes lying to me? Yes. He kept shaking his head. He could not believe it. It moved to an adjacent field and came down even lower, and he followed it into the field. The in, interior light was left on in the car, so my aunt really couldn't see what was going on. She saw the craft, but she needed to look so she could move the car if, if another car came along. He looked, went into the field with his binoculars, held them up to his eyes, and he saw eight to 11 non-human entities staring back at him. They were dressed in black, shiny uniforms. He remembered that. That was part of his conscious recall. And uh, suddenly, little like fins started to slide out from the sides of this disc-shaped craft. And it started to tip a little bit in his direction, and something started to drop down out of the bottom of it. Immediately, he thought that they had a plan for him 
And that that plan was to capture him like, quote, a bug in a net, close quote. He became terrified. He pulled the binoculars down from his eyes, running back to the car and telling my aunt to that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. The craft started to move overhead as he got into the car and started speeding down the highway. He told my aunt to roll down the window to look up to see if she could see this craft, and she did, and she was looking for lights. She couldn't see any lights. All she saw was blackness. The craft was right over that Right, it was blocking out even the starlight or anything, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it was. It was blocking out all light. And then she and my uncle heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds striking the trunk of their car. And when that happened, the car vibrated and a tingling sensation passed through their bodies. The next thing they knew, they were 35 miles down the highway They heard a second series of these buzzing sounds striking the trunk. My uncle stopped the car and he drove it from side to side, trying to make that sound because he said to Betty, don't be ridiculous, there are no UFOs. There are no flying saucers. He couldn't make that sound. And, but he wanted to report that close encounter and that observation of these non-humans to the police. He was looking for the police all the way home. He didn't find any. When they arrived home, they found physical evidence that something that they could not explain had happened. My aunt was wearing a beautiful dress. It was torn in several different places. She put it into her closet. The next time she took it out, it was covered with a pink powdery substance. It's been analyzed in six different laboratories now with anomalous findings. The tops of my uncle's best dress shoes were so deeply scraped that he had to buy new shoes. He was a meticulous dresser. Uh, Their watches, their wind-up watches they were wearing that night stopped and never ran again. There were shiny spots on the trunk of their car that had not been there. And when my aunt took a compass out and placed it over those spots, the needle would spin and spin, indicating a magnetic field around the trunk of that vehicle. We've seen that in other cases Mm -hmm. of alien abduction as well. My uncle was the person who actually saw these non-humans. It had a profound effect on him. He developed post-traumatic stress disorder and ended up... Uh, undergoing uh, uh, six months of hypnotic regression Mm -hmm. with Dr. Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist who had worked with veterans who were returning from World War II very successfully. Um, Dr. Simon also saw my Aunt Betty, and uh, he hypnotized them separately. Under hypnosis, each of them remembered... uh, very, very similar, if not identical, details of finding themselves on a dirt road, tall trees all around, a different road than they had been on, and they were taken onto this craft where they were taken into separate rooms and given physical examinations and released. Kathleen, do you think, or I don't know if they ever told you, did they feel that 
they were chosen because they happened to be, you know, you know, you know that saying, wrong place, wrong time, or that there was a specific reason why they were chosen? They always thought it was the wrong place, the wrong time. I question that now because I am a researcher. I've done uh, just recently finished an academic study with Dr. Don C. Dondary, a retired professor from McGill University, on 516 experiencers, and um, they, the majority are having generational contact. Okay. So one generation was taken, and then another, and then another. It seems to be a longitudinal genetic study. Right, that there, in other words, there was, it was, maybe they were plans but it just so happens like oh this is the perfect time for us to be able to retrieve you yes that uh, could have been right which right in other words it wasn't just happenstance it was like man our bad luck that we were traveling you know in the early morning hours down this lonely road it, it would make it sounds like it might have happened it could have happened later on at some other point yes if, absolutely you know, it was a question almost of opportunity. Um, and I can't even, because I'm thinking their reality had to talk about being psychologically profoundly affected. I mean, when, how did, what happened? Did they call the police? This was the first contact. I'm thinking, how does that conversation go? Imagine, especially <laughs> back in 1961. Yes. Well, uh, Betty uh, called my mother and uh, because we had a, a neighbor who was a physicist, and she wanted to know uh, what they should do if they had been contaminated. Right. And, yeah. and uh, so that was the beginning of my knowledge of this, because I was home from school in the afternoon, and I overheard the conversation. Uh, my father's best friend was a police officer. He was the chief of police in Newton, New Hampshire. And he stopped by for coffee every night. He stopped in for coffee and he t advised my mother to tell Betty and Barney to make a report to Pease Air Force Base to Project Blue Book. Uh, okay. That is what the police departments had been advised to do. Okay. And so Betty and Barney reported it to Pease Air Force Base uh, and they also reported it to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. And that was a civilian group, mostly of retired uh, military officers and scientists at that time. Um, and so there were, they, it was NICAP who really did the most thorough investigation. It seems like the Air Force uh, did a pretty good initial interview, but then the cover-up was put into place. I have all of the records. It's all in my book, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. Um, but what happened is that uh, even though Betty and Barney stated that when this craft swooped down, it was as large as a dinner plate at arm's length, uh, just huge. It fill, filled up the whole field of their windshield that uh, the Air Force said, oh, well, maybe it's planet Jupiter or um, maybe it's an advertising light for a theater or something like that. In the off season, in a wilderness area. I was going to say, wasn't it kind of remote, the area that they were traveling? Yes, it was very remote. 
you know, so they, they were grasping at straws for an explanation, and then they finally said that Betty and Barney were unavailable for further interviews, which it was also a baloney. Um, and so they just sort of wrote it off as the Air Force was doing in that time frame. Let me ask and, you something. At what point do you think your aunt and your uncle, because this sounds like they were trying to be good citizens, like you said, we, this is a very unusual experience. Let's, of course, the police, no crime. They refer them over to the Air Force. And they're thinking, okay, we're going to tell the truth. This is what happened. At what point did they realize they're making us, like what you just said, they're, you know, why are we all of a sudden we're the ones that, you know, we witnessed something weird. Like, why are they trying to make us sound like we're stupid? <laughs> I guess it's the only <laughs> way to look at it. Yes, and, and particularly because my Aunt Betty was a social worker in the state of New Hampshire. My uncle had served honorably in the Army during World War II. Uh, his character reference was that excellent uh, also, they were active in the civil rights movement in the state of New Hampshire. In 1964, Barney was appointed to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission State Advisory Committee in that state. They were envoys to the United Nations through their church. They were reputable people. They were and living no, life. They were living their normal lives, is they what you're were. describing. They absolutely were. They had no interest in UFOs. And and it wasn't good that this happened. They intended to keep it secret. They never wanted to the public to know about this because they didn't want to be uh, to have their reputations destroyed, to be thought of as a couple of kooks. And that was the word that was used in that time frame for bet, anyone yeah. who reported this sort of thing. Uh, but in 1965, unfortunately, a friend of Betty's talked to a friend of hers who was a newspaper reporter for a Boston oh. newspaper. Um, this friend knew everything about what was revealed under hypnosis and about the incident itself. Oh, my God. This reporter did his own investigation. He tried to talk to Betty and Barney. They refused. They would not talk to him. They said, we'll lose our jobs. We'll right. lose our yes. No, please don't release this information. And they thought that they were safe. But then a couple of months later, on the front page of the Boston Traveler, was that story for five days in a row. Wow. You can imagine the impact that it had on my family. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's like here, and, and, and of course, and this is the thing people don't realize, they were living, they had both had jobs, they were yes. making a living, they understood the repercussions as, a, as when we're talking your daily life. And this is besides whatever they were undergoing in their minds as far as that experience. But let's face it, you, your life goes on in the sense of, I need to pay my bills, I need a job. Absolutely. And uh, that must have been that must have been devastating for them. Oh, it was because of uh, there were some individuals who were not that nice because my uncle was back in 1961, um, and there was a lot of prejudice even in mm -hmm. Boston, Massachusetts, where he was right. working in that time frame. Right. So 
it was difficult for him and it was it was difficult for my aunt as well to have that sort of perception now uh, the only good thing that came out of it is that that newspaper reporter had gone to the White Mountains and he had uh, actually interviewed 10 to 12 uh, other witnesses to that UFO that night in that time frame. And I have the okay. letter that he wrote stating that. So uh, he was able to take all the information the descriptions, the locations of these various witnesses, and draw lines, and on those lines he discovered that that UFO was exactly where Betty and Barney saw it. So okay. that's, that was very important. Yes, absolutely. But, um, what happened is that after this came out in the newspaper, Betty and Barney decided that they would speak uh, publicly about what had occurred, and their first lecture was at the Unitarian Church in Dover, New Hampshire, and they were introduced by the public information officer from Pease Air Force Base. Okay. So that was you know, a little bit of a vindication. Right, exactly. Uh, that that this was real. They didn't talk about the abduction part of it, just about the close encounter uh, with the UFO. And there were other military people who contacted Betty and Barney and were very supportive of them and knew that this was real. And what ha I imagine once they started speaking, uh, they got more coverage. In other words, the word got out because back then, of course, it was, you know, newspapers and, and everything. Um, yes. What was happening to them as far as behind the scenes? Because we talked earlier how at some point there was an effort at disinformation uh, yes. that even took on like a personal tinge to it. Yes. Uh, a man named Philip Klaas, who was an editor and writer for... Uh, a space aerospace magazine in Washington DC uh, for some reason uh, became a disinformant I think that it was because he was in trouble with the federal government for things that he was doing he was under suspicion as being a spy okay um, and his apartment was actually raided by the FBI and after that uh, he began this work and so uh, he started the job of being a disinformant, uh, the go-to guy for the mainstream media. And every credible case where there was evidence and credible witnesses and public interest was debunked by Philip Klass, who uh, used speculation primarily in order to uh, cause the general public to become confused about the facts of the case, he told a false story and it caused a great deal of confusion and many people began to believe his false story rather than the true story of what occurred. And that's the reason that I uh, speak out in sure. this field now. I started out uh, speaking about my 
families experience with all of this, but have gone on to do much, much more work in this field. So what you're describing is as long as your aunt and uncle kept a low profile and it didn't come out, they were good. In other words, it's like, okay, they talked to us, but they're not going to the papers, so we'll just leave them alone and whatever. But once, unfortunately, it came, then it was... In other words, they were collateral damage, I hate to say it, because they it sounds like there was an agenda as in we cannot let people actually believe that something like this is real absolutely and you know you have to t- you have to look at the military side yeah they are not able to prevent this from occurring mm-hmm. and uh, if you can't prevent it you have to deny it yes. because their job is to protect the american public so uh, that's the rationale. I've passed that by some military officers, and they agreed with me that that was the rationale. Right. And uh, so that was uh, why they were debunked in that time frame. Uh, there have been some things that have come out recently uh, on television, for example, that uh, mm-hmm. really, in a way, have vindicated my aunt's story because she uh, remembered seeing a star map on that craft. She asked one of those non-human entities where they were from. He produced what was kind of like a three-dimensional star map, and there she sketched it as a result of a post-hypnotic suggestion, and over time, a brilliant amateur astronomer from Ohio was okay. able to discover the, the, where those stars were. And they had very special properties. It took a number of years because some of the stars on Betty's map hadn't been discovered right. when she drew the map and when the research began. But uh, the stars were identified. The primary stars in, in the front were Zeta Reticuli, one and two, about 39 and 40 light years away from our sun and our sun was on the map all of the stars on betty's map were considered to be sun-like stars even though only five percent of the stars in the local galactic neighborhood were considered to be sun-like wow so so how would she have known that in other words how would she and with the location of these stars they were in a plane which would have made it uh, easier and more logical to travel star to star. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so let me ask you something, Kathleen. Did your aunt ever feel, I mean, as intrusive as you think about it, you know, being abducted and examined, did she ever think there was any animosity or was it just strictly curiosity as far as uh, the way they were handled? By, no, there by the, was no by animosity whatsoever. Okay. They, they told Betty and Barney repeatedly through telepathic messages, uh, we will not hurt you. Uh, we only need to do a few simple tests and then you'll, we'll, you'll go on your way. Um, and then when Barney was returned to the car first, Betty was returned uh, a little bit later. And as she was being escorted, uh, the the leader who was escorting her uh, apologized, said, "I'm very sorry that 
we frightened you in the beginning and uh, apologized for that. And Betty wanted them to come back at that time. She right. uh, had lost her fear. And he okay. said, um, well, maybe I can come back, but it's not my decision to make. And she sa said, well, how would you find me? And he said, we can always find those that we want to find. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that talks about, that says plenty right there. Yes, um, it does. Kathleen, now that, and, and it's like you said, you, you've become a researcher in this field far beyond just having, you know, what that experience that your aunt and uncle had. Do you think that there is more than one type of extraterrestrial that's interacting or visiting Earth? I know that there's more than one type. Okay. Uh, we have different races of greys. They don't all look alike. But among the greys, they tend to have the smaller ones, about three and a half to four feet tall, right. who serve as the like little soldiers, like okay. guards on the craft and assistants. And then you have the ones who are a little bit taller, about five, four and a half, five, five and a half feet tall. And those are the ones who act as the educators, as the physicians, um, and as the scientists on the craft, because this appears to be uh, a longitudinal uh, genetic study that is uh, occurring, taking place. Right. And so they sometimes work with what people describe as an insectoid type, who are okay. taller, maybe five and a half feet tall to six feet tall, um, and they are primarily, from what the information I've received from thousands of experiencers, uh, they are primarily the physicians on okay. the craft. They generally do the procedures when the greys and the insectoids are working together. They don't always work together. Um, there is also a type that uh, has a very human appearance. Okay. Uh, they're a little bit different from us. They're telepathic. Um, they they don't wear human type clothing and they travel in a craft that uh, can maneuver in ways that our craft certainly cannot. Right. But they these are the most benevolent types, and okay. uh, they have with many people too. Uh, originally, years ago, uh, we thought that the Greys were not benevolent, but right. but uh, times have changed. And they, in my latest study, uh, have attempted to help experiencers. When an experiencer, and there are thousands if not millions of them, ask for healing from some medical problem, they've been healed. Wow. Information has, is being given to them on an ongoing basis about their mission, about their concerns about our planet. The human-looking types are also doing this. Uh, so it appears that there is a public information campaign okay. going on by these non-human entities now. Right. There are some other non-humans that uh, have a bad reputation, and those are the reptilian types. Right. They're certainly not as kind as, as the others. And uh, then there are other types that are seen in far smaller percentages, according to my research study.
Right, and some of these are independent from another. In other words, yes, they're we're they're on to, to, we're not like we're we're here at the same time, but we're doing our thing. Do you think there's any truth uh, that maybe the Greys are kind of like a bio robotic worker kind of thing, where they're kind of sent to do a heavy lifting, for lack of a better word, when it comes to this type of you know whatever they're doing, whether they're retrieving humans or examinations. Well, from the information I've received, the smaller grays could possibly be bio-robotic. It makes sense to me because there are all those people that you don't have to feed. You don't have to provide beds for them, toilets for them. You don't yeah. have to worry about their interactions with one another. They can do the menial labor part of the job. Uh, most experiencers do not think that the taller grays are biorobotic. If okay. they are, they are extremely sophisticated. They have emotions, okay. uh, and uh, they appear to be sentient beings, according right. to every experiencer that I've ever talked to. Researchers will speculate that they are biorobotic. Experiencers say absolutely not. Right, because there's that, right, and I want to say, suppose, you know, AI you don't think is capable of emotion or emotional yeah. exchange. So if they feel that, do you think that as far as, uh, I'm going to go into cattle mutilations, for example, uh, is there in your research any group that's responsible for that as far as, I mean, forget asking why they would do it beyond what you would think of as just research but why they're so prevalent? Uh, there, there is a group of reptilians who might possibly be involved in those cattle mutilations. And I know that the supposedly the reptilians have uh, captured some greys and forced them to do this work as well. And so okay. there are greys that are seen um, on craft in cases where this has happened. Uh, that's what some experiencers are saying when they have been on craft where there have been cattle mutilations taking place, allegedly. And I have talked personally. And, and that, that, that's a put a hold, you know, that they kind of like are, you know, maybe they're abducting the greys or using them for, you know, that, that, that's, that's right. We, we're we're going to use you to do the dirty work for us. Uh mm -hmm. Yes, and you know, I haven't talked to anyone who has seen that, but I've read about it. So let me say, none of the experiencers, thousands of experiencers that I have talked to have stated that they have seen this. This comes from right. a few individuals. And it's, and it's possible, I, I, don't, I don't see it. And as far as, you know, I, there's so, also been so many reports throughout the years very close to military bases or any place where they keep some type of nuclear arsenal. Uh, do you think that there is truth to what they say that they're hoping that, you know, that we're responsible as far as when it comes to warfare or the use of any type of nuclear weapons? Well, we know for certain that they show up it, during battle. They were in Vietnam, they were in Iraq, they, Afghanistan, they show up, they have a big concern. Um, right. Robert Salas was a military officer who was in uh, a nuclear weapons uh, arsenal area underground when a UFO 
came to that base in, I believe it was in North Dakota, and hovered over that base, and the nuclear weapons went down. Wow. This happened in base after base after base in the United States, and also it happened in the Soviet Union. So right. they were attempting to give a message. Right, they the, can override systems, in other words. They can... Yes, they can, they can override systems. They also are telling experiencers over and over again, uh, we are very concerned about your use of nuclear weapons. We're concerned that you uh, will have a nuclear war and there will be an environmental collapse on your planet. We've seen this happen on other planets. We don't want it to happen here. And they're concerned about uh, the fact that we have not been good stewards to our environment sure. either. And so those are the two major messages that have been given to experiencers over and over again. We try to get the word out to the public, but then we have some scientists who just uh, go on television and say, I just don't believe it. They're not giving any evidence for why it couldn't be true. They just say, as a scientist, I don't believe it. It's their personal emotional reaction, in my opinion. Right, exactly. If you're a scientist, there, you know, either you have some type of, if you have a hypothesis or whatever the case might be, you have some type of, um, not qualitative, but quantitative proof have said I've reached this conclusion based on or whatever not because I dreamt it or I felt it <laughs> or something right. like that. Yeah, know, so like, you yeah. might have uh, 2,000 experiencers who have all been given this particular information but you have one scientist who emotionally can't accept that right and so it's it's, it's belief and now we're going you know I don't know I'm sure you're aware of that you know that they have that magnetic pole shift that as that kind of even though uh it's happened before apparently it was overdue and it's shifting weird and as a matter of fact they had to uh basically um update the maps for the gps systems you know that all the satellites use yes uh, that usually they would put it out every five years and they had to kind of hurry up and put out a new version because in other words things are not where they would be and it makes you wonder also you know that has an impact as far as the planet and everything and animals that use the magnetic poles for any type of migration and it makes you wonder i wonder if you know they're looking at us going okay i wonder how they're going to handle that yes well let me tell you i've been a commentator on nasa's unexplained files on the most recent series mm -hmm. and so i was watching the show and they had part of the show was uh about the collapse of the earth's magnetic field yes. and how uh, that magnetic field protects us yes. from asteroids or meteorites, meteors that are coming in. And uh, we are about to enter a, uh, a part of our galaxy um, where we enter this once every 300,000 years. But there, wow. it is an asteroid belt with a lot of asteroids. And so our scientists are working oh. on ways to uh, move them out of our path through the use of maybe a nuclear weapon up there or through giant sails 
or something where they can move that if they find that something is in our path and might hit our planet. I'm hoping that our visitors will also yeah, show benevolence and and, uh, and do the same thing for right, us. Right, 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 because it even protects us from radiation coming out of the earth itself. I mean, the the, the purpose of it is, it, it serves a lot as far as people don't realize with what's going on with the, with that magnetic shift. Uh, I mean, it's happened before. It's not that it's never happened before. Right. It has happened before. And there there has been a collapse of our magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Going back into the 1950s, the nuclear weapons that we exploded above ground were uh, said to have been responsible for some of that. Now, in the book Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness in Contact with Non-Human Intelligence, put out by free. I have a 30,000-word chapter, and in that chapter, I talk about uh, an experiment that took place back beginning in 1954, where a woman from Maine began to receive telepathic messages from uh, individuals who claimed to be the, the captains of giant motherships who were in our atmosphere, or just outside our atmosphere, and they were very concerned about the collapse of the Earth's magnetic field. I have evidence through correspondence files I acquired from family members of Admiral Knowles, who was concerned about this, and also through the Canadian government with, uh, with Wilbert Smith, who worked for the Canadian government. They attempted to uh, find information that would confirm that the Earth's magnetic fields were being repaired, as these non-human entities said they were doing to help us. And Wilbert Smith actually did find evidence in a scientific magazine that the Earth's magnetic fields were being repaired. So let's ask for help again. Right, 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 right. No, the, and, and it's very scary when uh, when you think, even even when they detonate some of these bombs underground, it makes you wonder, what is that doing? Because I know oh, that the, it's like, yeah, the, I mean, whether it's above ground or underground, it's it, I, personally to me, it's very frightening because uh, the long-term effects, or in this case, the short-term effects, I mean, there's no way sometimes to repair it or to stop it or uh and you know and i'm sure you've heard of sometimes people think of electromagnetic pulse bombs you know where uh i mean so many things can that i guess it's part of as we advance in technology it's but it makes you think it's like yeah but i want to survive technology into the future i don't want it have destroy us or throw us back into the stone age yes uh, absolutely and and uh and, you know you always think of you know in star trek you know where they had the prime directive which was don't interfere especially if you're uh in a planet which is compared to yours much more primitive and mm-hmm. it makes you wonder if any of these extraterrestrials they have something similar to that but at some point they're going oh my god wait a minute you know <laughs> if we don't interfere there won't be anything left to study <laughs> so, True. They don't want to interfere, but uh, according to my sources, they 
they say that they might have to. They don't want to, right. but if we come to the point of no return, they might have to. Kathleen, do you think there's any possibility that extraterrestrials have either tweaked or worked or actually interbred with us as far as genetics, as far as who we are now as modern humans? Well, there is a geneticist who states that uh, there is evidence that we have been tweaked in okay. the past. And okay. so I wouldn't doubt that if, I mean, if you look at the, the history with from information written by Zachariah Sitchkin, who was uh, a historian, archaeologist, I think, um, who, who uh, wrote about our history, there is alien contact, ET contact dating back into those very early records. If you read the Bible, there mm -hmm. is an indication of contact uh, yes. but as far back as that. And so... Um, there, I believe there is evidence that we were upgraded in the past, okay. and I believe that we are being upgraded right now as okay. well. Do you and think I any what... type of like a hybrid pro, uh, type of efforts, do you think? Because I know that there's uh, Dubtees that have basically described where their genetic material, whether it's uh, eggs from a woman and sperm from a man, have been taken. Do you think that they're doing anything along those lines? Well, yes, they are doing that. Uh, people, there are, are women and men who uh, are giving birth to their babies, but these babies have extraordinary gifts. And, and mm -hmm. These couples are experiencers. They're, they've okay. been taken to craft. Uh, there is also, a, it appears to be, a hybridization program um, that's taking place where they are keeping some of these children as well. And experiencers have reported, dating back into the 1970s, that mm -hmm. they have seen uh, these hybrid children on craft. They've held them and that sort of thing. The non-human entities uh, state that they had that other program in place so that if we do end up destroying life on this planet, this planet can be receded. Right, but, I was going to say, yeah, almost like, I don't want to say a Noah's Ark, but yeah, that they have the genetic material in order to reestablish another colony of humans as we are now on some other planet, I guess, that's similar to this one. You yes, know, that's carbon based. And it, and you almost think also at the same time that, yeah, that that some part of us, if you know that that's why we're able to basically produce children or produce offspring. I'm sorry that there must be some common genetic uh, compatibility, you would think, between us and them in order to be able to produce offspring of some type. Well, so. possibly or through genetic splicing. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I know, I know. And then this is the thing. And sometimes, you know, I look at all of this and, you know, it's almost like, and I'm sure you've heard now, you know, the use of uh, technology like the CRISPR, where, you know, they're doing genome splicing and this and that. And they're kind of like tweaking with genetics. And I'm thinking, I wonder if this, you know, uh, if this is what was done to us beforehand. And now we as human, modern humans, 
and the scientific community are doing it, but you know, down the food chain, in other words. Yes. Uh, and and dating back to the 1950s, we know that these craft have been observed taking plant life, taking yeah. animal life. It, it's it's almost as if they are the Noah's Ark story all over again. Right. Yeah. The, just in case they they do something really stupid. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's like. Uh, I mean, it's 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 so many. It could lead off into so many directions and the ripple effect. Uh, and again, the question, like you said, that you know maybe because of modern technology, people are able to either capture it now with cameras, which nowadays everybody's walking with one in their phone, uh, or but you know it sounds like yeah they've been around for a really long time and just beforehand people just didn't know how to you know mistook them for gods. Yeah, something yes. otherworldly. Uh, but yeah, this could go off in so many directions. But anyway, Kathleen, I wanted to thank you so, so much for oh, joining us today. So it has been absolutely wonderful. I could talk to you for hours and hours and oh, hours and hours. I, we could. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things. It's an ever-evolving field. Uh, and, and thankfully, based even on that article that I read a short clip for, I guess some, some of the powers that be are starting to come around and not treat us, the rest of us humans, like children. Uh-huh. We can handle it. We can handle it. <laughs> yes, okay, we just, can. <laughs> just tell us the truth. We can handle it. We'll probably have a stiff drink. Sit down for about <laughs> half an hour and go, oh, my God. Okay. All right. Now tell me the rest of it. You know, uh -huh. you know give us some credit. <laughs> you know, over thousands of years, they haven't hurt us. What's to say they're going to hurt us now? Exactly. Uh, we should look at this as a, a more mature civilization, a more spiritual civilization, yes. who is here and concerned about our survival. I hate to say it, but a lot of people are going to... You remember that old Twilight Zone program where it turns out that it was the cookbook? I know there's a lot of people thinking along those lines. It's like... <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, all right, yeah. Okay, no, no, I'm not it's not going to be that. <laughs> Okay, Captain. Take care, darling. It has been wonderful to speak great, to you. Great to speak to you, too. Bye-bye. Isn't she fantastic to speak to? What an interesting lady. So knowledgeable. So knowledgeable. And that's a short news article that I read. I, I, I talked about it because, let's face it, this, this was dated yesterday. Okay? The... the you know, if you look at it, and, and I'm glad she pointed it out uh, from the military standpoint, you could understand where, hey, before we start, start saying that there's, you know, UFOs or, or assume that the UFO is from another planet, you know, I understand that for security reasons and God knows things, I could see where they would say, okay, we have got to deny it or maybe, and, and, and I'm thinking, you know, what, you know, back in, let's say the fifties and the sixties when they had the cold war going on and it was like better safe than sorry. We got to deny that these things are taking place. And God knows there's been a lot of people in the military and everything that after the fact I've said, you know what, I was an active duty. I witnessed this thing. And basically I was pulled inside and told, shut up. You can never talk about that. And uh, 
she she includes some details in one of her books we were talking about it before we started recording where people were who, who were either experts whether you were a physicist or they were would come after you um personally how's that in other words your the intent not only was the bigger picture to put out the new story saying uh you know what this was a weather balloon or they were afterwards coming after on a personal level uh anybody that if not directly going against what the government was saying or whoever was saying it but just because you were telling a story that made it sound possible people were being targeted on, uh, on an individual basis and she talks about in her book uh, as far as the disinformation wasn't just a general disinformation it was disinformation in particular of against certain people where it was ruining their lives it was ruining their reputation uh if you had any recognition in certain fields uh basically you you could be hindered from gaining employment which is what i was trying you know what i pointed out and you know in the midst of this we look at this uh from uh, on a larger scale but when you're talking individual people who like the rest of us have families have obligations uh, need a job uh, the day-to-day grind you know because we look at stuff from you know in hindsight or from the bigger picture and we kind of lose the daily life of all these people all these players throughout the years whether they were military or physicists or experts or they worked at NASA or you were a professor or you were an expert you know that that maybe you might have questioned or said you know what uh, I, I've got a certain theory about this where like if that went against the official story that was given out you, you could you they would go after you on a personal level in other words if you didn't get the message before you started to speak out you got the message real clear which is we're gonna go after you on a professional personal level and we're gonna ruin your life okay and as a matter of fact I'm gonna there's a real quick uh, clip of a conversation that that she talked to me about having to do with a very famous abductee this star um occurred in 1970 listen to this did quite uh yes i exactly i'm sorry go ahead continue the white mountains of arizona yes uh, he was a logger um doing a, a clearing job in the national forest uh there was a, a crew working with him he was not the head of the crew there was an mm-hmm. older man who owned the company and as they were returning home after a day's work driving through the national forest they saw what they thought was a fire ahead of them. They drove up to this and uh, realized that it was not a fire, that it was a glowing UFO that was hovering at just about treetop level. And so without even thinking, Travis just opened the door to the truck and walked toward it. And uh, this beam, blue-green beam came out and hit him and threw him into the air. We know that that beam usually takes a person 
on board the craft, but something must have happened, right. and he was thrown back. The crew thought he had been killed, and they fled, yeah. and they went back finally looking for his body or for him seriously injured. He was not there. So they went into town. They were all distraught. They reported it to the police. They came under investigation for um, having done harm or possibly killed uh, Travis. And they all had to take lie detector tests. And they all claimed that they had seen a UFO and that they believed that the UFO had taken Travis. And they passed the lie detector tests. Travis had been look, had uh, search teams looking for him for five days before he was finally returned. And he wasn't returned to the spot where he was taken. It was to the outskirts of the town where he would be safe. He would have frozen to death in November in the National Forest. So he, the craft uh, released him. He woke up by the side of the road. He called his family and, and they picked him up. Well, that was already public news because of the UFO nature of this and mm -hmm. because he had been missing for so long. Right. And everybody's story, assuming he's dead, of course. Yes. When this story came out in the media, the major disinformant in that time frame, Philip Klass, went to work to destroy not only the story, but Travis himself, and also the owner of that company. He did- Oh, him too? Yes, him too. He, he, was, he was reported to the IRS, and year after year, he was audited. I didn't know that. Yes, yes. I have, it's, it's all in my book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers with wow. Stanton Friedman. The, the history of government involvement in the investigation of UFOs, the disinformance they had, and their modus operandi, and case after case are all in that book. You can read all of the details on the but travel. you know what? Because that's, that even goes beyond this information, if you think about it. Yes. It does. Philip Class was a very nasty guy. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, he became the go-to guy for the mainstream media after Dr. Edward Condon, who led the scientific study on UFOs that started in 1966 and ended in 1969. Dr. Edward Condon received a lot of help with disinformation from Philip Class, And he was so grateful that he referred Philip Class. He wrote a letter um, of commendation for Philip Class um, to McGraw-Hill, stating that he ought to be the person who would be the representative for the mainstream media. And year after year after year, as long as he lived, he was on television, he was in newspapers, he was on radio shows, giving the public disinformation, destroying right. the character and the reputations of people who were victims of alien abduction. Right, because he got, he was considered an, an expert, you know, that 
yes. that thing. So, and of and course, whatever he said, nobody was going to question it. Right. It's really unfortunate. And that's something that I have tried to make uh, available to the mainstream media now so that they know what happened. They know right. what is going on. And that this was an ongoing thing. It was not like a once or twice thing. It was It was an ongoing process of, you know, let's reinforce it. Let's reinforce it. You know, for anybody that is interested in this, has an experience, whatever, it's not a one-time deal. We got to keep this rolling along year after year because and all of a sudden it becomes the truth which is a problem big time yes yes and, and he did year after year taking every credible ufo sighting and abduction where there was evidence and sometimes a lot of evidence he repeatedly attempted to destroy that story and the reputations of those individuals yeah, well, he has like a either sociopathic or psychopathic flavor to him without knowing the particulars because I don't know, but that's what it sounds like. Yes. For somebody to be yes. like that. I agree with that. Okay, hold on. Let me get this. That was a real eye-opener, wasn't it? As far as Travis Walton and his employer, that was a very short clip because his story is very well documented. Uh, and I, I was not aware that you know, even his employer got targeted and that there's several and, and, and um, you know, it almost sounds like there's certain players, some, most of them, as a matter of fact, I think are have passed away by now that you would think, okay, <clears throat> maybe they were like, I mean, you really have to be very manipulative, but in a very it's almost like I want to say, and I and I told her like it's almost like these people have a psychological problem, but they're under the cover of working for the government or being called experts or being reinforced that they're the only ones telling the truth, and it's like uh, and then you could think okay that's on one person, but somebody whoever was holding that person's leash had to have been aware of what they were doing and was going okay all right do, do it. Go ahead. So you have to spread lies and ruin this person and his family by extension, because it's just not that person by themselves, uh, ruin his credibility, uh, ruin him professionally, ruin probably his personal life, depending. Uh, and and as a matter of fact, I'm not going to go into it now, but there's there, throughout the years, there's been several people involved in what it's a ufology of some type who have committed suicide. And even now there's questionable suicides, as in some people saying this person was not suicidal. In other words, that they were done away with and made to look like suicides because of what they were talking about or writing about or describing. Uh, and yes, I'm sure, you know, I'm not gonna say each and every one because unfortunately sometimes you're not inside that person's skin or their mind to say, you know, was was this person suicidal? Did they have suicidal ideations? And they just happen to have been involved in this field? But there's a lot of weird stuff that has gone on as far as people that take their dirt nap very conveniently at certain times. And uh, that's not being a, a, a conspiracy theorist. I think that also what's happened is that now let, let's let's even though there's been UFO sightings and blah blah blah, but let's start with the case of uh, of her aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, which that occurred in 1961. 
we're talking over 50 years it's almost like now because of let's say the use of the internet dissemination in other words that we have a 50-year block of time that we could look back over and say wow you know in other words you know we have that bird's eye view of events and things that people can say wait that happened to that person that happened and this happened and this and and in some cases that like i said some of these people that have been involved have actually passed away regardless of what side of it you were on were you the one that was that this is a plausible probable story that should be investigated or were you one of the ones that was tasked with doing the disinformation okay that now we're actually being able to look back and say wait a minute there's something going on here and like i said i think personally despite all our knowledge and efforts to disavow the existence of it uh i think that there's a lot we don't know and i think that government sometimes would be afraid of admitting that there's a lot of things that they don't know and as a matter of fact that that they could say because you know everybody let's say points to like let the crash at roswell and other things that have taken place in other words that we've been able to actually gather actual materials whether it's uh bodies or materials from ships but what if what if a lot of the information that i'm going to say the government when i say overall or the government department or that department which is the the the, the one behind the scenes basically all they have is the actual information of abductees <laughs> as far as them realizing you know what we have all these separate people different ages different places different parts of the country who all coincide on this observation but then if let's say if they ever came out and said well we're going to come we're going to come clean the blah 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 and then of course they would be asked certain questions that they couldn't provide answers to that they could say well yeah well, um we believe based on uh having looked at thousands of people who have actually come forward and admitted or described an abduction or some type of uh you know visual of that we think and people say well what do you mean in other words you're only depending on witness witnesses of some type yeah because we really really don't know uh <laughs> yeah because i think that there's for all that we might know that might is a big question mark is we really i think there's a lot we don't and us as human beings that don't know you because remember we consider ourselves at the top of the food chain here on planet earth okay we're the end all be all you know whether physically we're at the top we're not but because of technology we're able to say we're at the top of the food chain and we manipulate the environment and everything that's on it and plant life etc etc to actually fall into the we don't know we have really truly we can guess at some of the stuff and maybe we have collected some material but we really can't say we know who or how many extraterrestrials are here have been here are studying us because i know there's theories out there people saying that governments have direct contact and coordinations from some of these extraterrestrials but what if we don't you know because everybody thinks of you know like i've talked i've said this before like you know the x-files version where we got 
we're totally joined at the hip with some of these extraterrestrials and we have agreements and this and that and that basically uh we know a lot about them and we're basically have a, a, a some type of understanding with them but that's just hollywood what if we don't but what if what we have is just stuff that's happened accidentally a crash vehicle recovered stuff things that have been recovered eyewitness testimony from people that they themselves know really are saying the truth and then of course parsing information deeply by different witnesses or ex people that have had experiences and you know okay like you rule out the people that have mental problems you draw away the attention seekers who are in other words it's liars but then you're left with still thousands if not millions depending on how long far back we're going through information that you start to realize okay this is being described very often by all these different people that there's no way for them to have coordinated the answers because because either one was dead and the other well the other one was alive well what i mean dead or or you know or that that this person was alive and then they passed away and this other per okay in other words there's no way that they there was any type of you know uh coordination of information but they're describing the exact same thing whatever that might be you know it, it again it's i think it's very exciting it's kind of scary in a way because I belong, I'm a human being and, you know, we, like I said, considering that we want to think that we're in control of everything in the sense of, uh, you know, that we're trying to be responsible in, in our actions towards other humans and animals and the planet, you know, without, without thinking, you know, we've got extraterrestrials looking over our shoulder. We shouldn't have, that shouldn't be part of the reason why we do it that all of a sudden it kind of puts us back in our place like whoops yeah you know what we have had visitors who have been looking over our shoulders maybe tweaking with our dna uh and now they're kind of going oh my god you know like when you got teenagers like what they're doing what <laughs> and then, huh <laughs> that kind of stuff and then they throw in there into the mix some reptilians who uh, maybe are kind of like dangerous. I don't know, you know, or or, or kind of more cutthroat when it comes to their uh, observations or studies. I mean, yeah, let's see what happens. Hopefully, no, that that Noah's Ark plan that they might have going on. Hopefully, they will never ever ever have to implement it. <laughs> because personally, uh, I like I said, and I've said this before, and I will say it again. I believe in human beings. I, I believe in the goodness of human beings. And by this, uh, despite how sometimes we can be molded to do bad things and become bad people, I think overall as human beings, as in human beings, the planet over, you know, in general, we're, we're good and we can triumph and we can overcome this. And I'm, I'm betting that those ETs out there are, are putting down odds and that we're going to come out at the other end of this and go on to explore other worlds and um, become part of 
let me go let me let me go sci-fi here you know become part of that intergalactic federation out there of advanced civilizations and species that gets it you know that gets it and that is not into uh destruction of ourselves and of any of our world and any others we might come across that we're going to be on that side of it you know because like i say it's got to be about creation not destruction whether we're talking one human being to larger first thing you have to look at is this person into creation into creating or is this person into destruction destruction when you start seeing destruction in somebody's personality and their actions and by this i'm saying one and then extrapolates from there then you got to start worrying okay destruction is a bad thing you know uh and you know you know what I mean? Yes, I'll destroy roaches, but you, you know what I'm talking about. This destruction, that the, the end-all be-all of somebody's actions is to destroy. That's not a good thing. Never a good thing. So anyway, guys, I hope you like the show. <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, it, uh, it's, it's interviews like these with people uh, like my guest who kind of pulls you out of the humdrum everyday life that we fall into, you know, our our everyday struggles or routines that kind of plucks you out and says there's bigger things going on around you as comforting as your routine is for you there is more going on around you and bottom line it's a fantastic time to be alive take care guys thanks you're all wonderful <laughs>